We're back. We're back. This is a distraction. I'm Drew. That's Roth. How you doing, Roth? I'm good, man. How are things? How you doing, Rothy? Rotho? The no, Rothster. No, the hockey podcast, man. You don't need to call me Rothy. <laughs> Rothy. <laughs> no, you know what? In hockey, I think hockey's the only sport that has this, but they tack an ER under the end of every guy's name. So it's like, you know, like if it's like Steve Scott, it's like the Scotter. Or like, oh, the... <laughs> The Joneser is, is he's coming on strong. Like they always do. Like that's a big hockey name thing. And like the uh, the Vikings, uh, Mike Zimmer tacks a Y onto everybody's name. So like Stefan Diggs was Diggsy, and her cousins <laughs> is probably Cousinsy or something like that. Like it's 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 somehow less imaginative than the current nickname structure of professional sports. With so the- I don't know if I mentioned this here. So I uh, my friends that do a, a podcast called Block Party, I was on there. Um, they're Canadian. And uh, one of them, John, told me that in Canada, people will refer to donuts as donies. That's a nickname. They've given donuts a nickname. <laughs> That's the same number of syllables. This I know. You're not sense. saving any space. You're not really saving any time. It's just a way of showing that you're fond of donuts, I guess. Like, well, actually, we call them donuts. Let me donators. get a <laughs> <laughs> it's, actually, it's actually kind of adorable. Yeah. A donny. Oh, a donny, don't you know? <laughs> I guess if, if you like anything in your life enough to give it a nickname, donuts are a reasonable choice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I have enough affection for donuts to give them a, a, a proper nickname. And by the way, Roth, this is a very special podcast because we're going to talk about sports a lot this week. Isn't that fantastic? Yeah, I love to talk about sports a lot. I like to get after it as hard as I can. We, uh, we are now nut deep into the NBA playoffs, and so that required us to bring on an expert. Uh, but we couldn't find an expert, so instead, well we invited Sports <laughs> Illustrated writer Rohan Nardkarni with us. Hi, Rohan. Okay, so we were chatting before this podcast started like normal people, and then literally Drew is like, three, two, one, go, and just transforms from the Drew I've grown to know and love. Into like some game show host. Like, <laughs> it's incredible. It's the transformation. It's like it, I would say it's Daniel Day Lewis esque, except he's clearly not method because I've seen the normal Drew today, and now all of a sudden I'm seeing podcast Drew. It, it was. It was. I'm still taken aback. Clearly, so I've got yeah, like hundreds the- of these, and you never get used to it. <laughs> Well, it's true because off the air, I'm actually British, so people don't know that about me. <laughs> That's true. So this is you like this is I you know I studied as hard as Kate Winslet did for Mayor of Easttown on my accent, <laughs> right. and I think it's pretty good. I think it's pretty solid. Drew mix. insisted on an unglamorous edit. He was like, "Yeah, if my voice is like really honky, like if it sounds like something that would come out of the the one of those things that flaps around outside a used car dealership, just leave it. That's the part." So what's nice about uh, this week is uh, just this morning, and this will uh, you know this will pass by the time the podcast is posted. But we're coming off uh, Dame Lillard's incredible performance in a loss uh, against the Denver Nuggets last night. Uh, dropped uh, a double nickel on them and hit just an insane number of pull-up threes in double overtime to score that fifty-five points, and uh, and still lost. And I feel like I feel like Lillard is one of the rare players who. His team never fucking goes anywhere in the playoffs. They they always get ejected. You know, if he's lucky, he gets to the conference finals, but usually not. But they usually come up short. Uh, and whenever that happens, he is never to blame, and that's justly so. But I I can't think of I I can think of very few athletes outside of like Barry Sanders who perform at a high level, but their team fails and they don't get some blame for it. Rohan, am I wrong in that assessment? No, you're incredibly right in that assessment. I actually wrote something along those lines this morning, so I'm a little creeped, I'm a little creeped out by your assessment. If oh, we get a plug alert. About <laughs> if it if it makes you feel better, I didn't read your post. No, that does so make I, me feel a little bit better. I feel like I'm onto something. I completely ignored your post. He could give you like like the blog version of a talk about question. Like just <laughs> read your shit and then asked you to read it back to us. It is. He's. He has the best reputation, weirdly, of any superstar in the NBA, even though he's probably not as good as any superstar in the NBA. He's widely beloved. He's never dragged on the internet. There's no, there are no Dame Lillard stands and no Dame Lillard detractors. He's just, he's unassailable. Everyone like always thinks he's making every shot that he takes in the clutch. Like even LeBron, who's maybe the best basketball player ever. It's like widely hated by a large segment of the population. Kevin Durant is like widely hated by like 
Dame is not as good as those guys, but he's far more beloved. And I think that's good for him. Why is he not as good as those guys? And I mean this, I don't mean this like, uh, I don't, I don't mean this from a, uh, like a mechanic standpoint. Why do you think he's not as good as those guys? And could you argue that he is? I think that you could argue that he is. When I was writing last night, like something I looked up was like, he always loses to good teams in the playoffs. And then I realized five of the seven times he's lost in the playoffs, it's been to like either the Spurs, LeBron, or the Warriors. And all those teams had multiple Hall of Famers on it. Yes. Uh, you know, I, let's say you switched him and Steph during the, the 2010s. Are the Warriors quite as good? Probably not. Do they win a couple championships? There's a good chance. I, I would say he's not as good. I mean, this is like a, a trope that we love to classically fall on in basketball, but it's like, how far can he take your team as the lead guy? I mean, like we saw what Curry did this year, right? With a really bad team. If you switch Dame and Steph this year, are the Warriors in the plan? I really don't know. It's it's really hard to know. LeBron dragging the 2018 Cavs to the finals, like it, it, in some ways I think is like the greatest accomplishment of his career because of how bad that team was. Yeah. So, I'm, I have come into that opinion fully over like that. All of the shitty finals teams that LeBron took and that lost like four to one, like every single one of those is a like monumental career cap. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Fucking Booby Gibson in the NBA finals taking like meaningful shots. No one else could have made that happen. Exactly. And, and so I think that if you're judging him on that standard, like, can he be that guy who is so singularly great? I, I'm just not sure only because, We've seen him in like such a static situation for so long. It's very difficult to know, you know, how he measures up against those guys because he does keep losing to them in the playoffs too. Well, you're but also you're measuring him against two of the absolute best players exactly. in the history of the sport. Exactly, right. and, but- and that was a, not to keep plugging what I wrote, but that was another point I made where it's like even if he's one tier below those guys, those are like top 10 all-time talents right like when it's all said and done like right. lebron katie and steph are gonna be like three of the 10 best players to play probably like him being a step below those guys is is incredible it's still really cool yeah it's something he has in common with like other all-time great nba players you know what it's not he, the worst thing in the world if he was in the east could he have snatched a title or two away by not having to deal with any of those uh greats early in the playoffs that's tough. Only because LeBron was there for so long, and he's ruined so so many careers. <laughs> this is true. Uh, the other thing that happened uh, just this morning, and it was one of those beautiful uh, Shams Woj uh, faceoffs where you have to check the timestamp down to like. The oh, I don't even know about this. So I'm excited about this. this is the- Ooh, all right. Yes, that's right. Because Rohan's podcasting from bed because he's on the West Coast. It's so, eight a.m. Uh, this is the yeah, first, the first thing I've done today. Yeah, you right, gotta well, get guess your grind what? up, man. Shams here, has been up since like four a.m. your time. Uh, yeah. Posted. So here's what here's what happened, Rohan. Uh, Danny Ainge is out as president of the Celtics, and Brad Stevens, the head coach of the Celtics, is taking his place. So the Celtics uh, are now without a head coach, and their Wonderkin head coach. And I and like Lauren Tyson said, I keep thinking of uh, Brad Stevens as just having arrived there when he's been there for like a fucking decade. He is taking over Danny Ainge's role and will be in charge of hiring the new head coach. He's, so now he's leaving coaching. What? Yeah, yeah, what? yeah. At forty, like forty-five years old. Yo, what is a year? Fuck. Old? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit! Right. <laughs> I was going to ask you how you feel about that, but that alone, that response alone, was good you enough. Didn't, you I didn't know like. you were joining an emergency podcast. So did you? that's right. What's What's really <laughs> funny is. I had heard from uh, one of my coworkers had had let us in on the rumor that he thought Ainge was going to be out. So Ainge being out is not super surprising to me. Brad Stevens taking over that role is crazy to me. Uh, that is shocking. Wow. Even is if he, he was burned out on coaching, which it seems like there, there was a funny moment where like Shams and Woj were kind of doing like hitting like the two-part harmony that they do where they're each like sort of chasing each other's little useless scooplet (laughs) with another you know one that's similarly useless 
where they, apparently it's like the bubble season was bad for him and he's been feeling kind of over it. And like, I get all that, but like, he's also like 45 or whatever, you know, like he could just like take a couple years off and come back and do it. Like becoming an exec does not seem like a solution to any kind of personal malaise to me, but I guess, he, you know, whatever he gets paid either way. Well, also the other thing is that it's like, like you said, it's like it's a little pissing match between those two guys to be like, okay, I've got the real story. I've got the whole story behind <laughs> this shakeup. But then all of it is like details that were clearly fed to them by these people. Like, yeah. Where it's like Danny Ainge had been thinking about stepping back for a long time, thinking about, oh, you know, reduce, maybe learning to play chess, you know, like really some <laughs> real personal growth development. And you know, you know who. Who fed him that shit? You know that. A like source close to Danny Ainge. Yeah. Says that. <laughs> it's like, yeah. So, so then it's like, so then, like, the, you know, they're fighting over sort of the details, but I don't even know if the details are real. And so the, then the question, Rohan, and you have to answer this with a fresh mind uh, and possibly not even dressed, is <laughs> like, first of all, uh, did Danny Ainge deserve to be fired? And did Brad Stevens deserve to take his place? I do think that it was probably time for Danny Ainge. Um, I, it's funny that I still think he's done like a terrible job or something over the years. Uh, although that quote he gave was fucking absurd. Yeah, uh, that's like a nice way to like just sort of like ease your way out. <laughs> right. Just being like, and in conclusion, like racism isn't real. <laughs> right. All right. In conclusion, I never, <laughs> I never heard about it. So, um, I, I think it was probably time for Danny Ainge. I. You can I, you do that job for so long. I do think there's just like a, you can use like a freshness, a new perspective, etc. Um, the last couple years, he was in an unfortunate position where he did make some moves that made a lot of sense, and then everything just kind of unraveled on them. I'm just truly, truly taken aback by the Brad Stevens aspect of this. I, I wonder if part of it is because he he weirdly keeps popping up in. Like, is this it for Brad Stevens in Boston, even though he's been a really, really good coach for them? He, I'm truly shocked by that. He doesn't strike me as a kind of guy who wants the front office job. Like, a lot of these coaches are wired in such a weird way. Like, they are also really competitive. Brad Stevens strikes me as one of those people who is just, like, too competitive almost for a front office gig to like not be in it not like really be in it day to day so that's really really messing with me but i think it was probably time for ainge uh he's just been around there for so long uh i think it helps to get a new perspective in but man stevens now i saw that lloyd pierce and jason kidd have been popped up as uh like coaching candidates if the celtics go from brad stevens to jason kidd as their head coach that would be hysterical that's incredible. It's like trading in like a Rolls Royce for the car that Fred Flintstone drives where your feet come out the bottom. <laughs> well, the other thing is that uh, like I've heard enough stuff about like I was like it was, this was even in Moneyball about com- overly competitive GMs where it's like, oh, the GM can't even be in the stadium when the team. So he has to watch. He has to be in a padded room and he has to be in a straitjacket. Otherwise, he'll <laughs> yeah. bite clean Billy through Bean his knuckles. Through, like, 30 treadmills a year. He just smashes yeah. them with hammers every time the bullpen fucks up. <laughs> yeah. So you know, I always get I always get like that side of like the the super hyper competitive GM. But actually Stevens to me and this is strictly like in terms of demeanor strikes me as a guy who can like who can sound like basketball Theo Epstein even though he may not have the credibility to be that. Like he just sort of looks the part. Uh like he's he's just young enough and white enough to get away with that bullshit. But perhaps I am wrong, Rohan, and you can tell me why. Uh, wrong about uh, what? What's your what's your take exactly here? I mean, essentially that he could that he could essentially uh, present himself as a sort of a new thinker in in a front office role, like you know, essentially a, a, an analytics guy. I see. Yeah, I mean, I, I, the one thing I'd say is I think Boston's like always been pretty like. Like, that was where, like, Daryl Morey got his start, et cetera. Like, I think they've always been kind of one of those teams. So I don't even know that he's uh, – there's got to be more coming out to this story here. I, I, I Because like, I don't think he's going to present himself as, like, that's why I'm the right guy for this role because I feel like they've always had that 
kind of reputation as being one of the quote-unquote more forward-thinking or analytically-minded front offices, or at least, like, having that streak in them. Yeah, but they were run by Danny Ainge, who's a fucking fossil. That's well, true. But he's also... But he knew to take advice. Like, that's, right. I think, the way that all of the good front offices, certainly in, in baseball, this is how it works. Like, you prop up some, like, organizational figurehead guy, and that per- all that person needs to do is be just flexible enough to listen when somebody who actually that's knows true. something like, gives them advice. Like, I think, like, Pat Riley and Eric Spolster are as different as they are similar. Like, I think Pat Riley is, like, I, like <laughs> crumpling up pieces of paper that have, like, net rating on them. But, like, I don't think Eric Spolster... I think Eric Spolster subscribes to that stuff. So, like, I think what Roth is saying, like, it, you know, all these, like, good front offices have a lot of people with a lot of different perspectives, etc. Um... Yeah, wow. This has really just thrown my whole morning for a loop. I think your point, too, about the the competitive, the specific type of competitive psycho that coaches are, is, like, that's the part of it that that sort of stuck out to me as being, like, a possible warning sign with all of this. Because I think it's, like, it's not a a mindset. It's, like, a metabolism. Yeah. You know, that, like, you need to be, like, at that, like, you know, on the edge where I need to be every game. (laughs) Yeah, there it is. You know, and, like, it's different. Like, the timetable of, like, what a GM does, it's, like, you know, it's three or four big moves a year. You're also thinking, like, three or four years out. It's an entirely different, you know, like, they're, like, GMs, like, they don't do anything this, I mean, I wouldn't say they don't do anything, like, but, like, a GM right now is, like, equally getting ready for the draft as much as they could care about the playoffs, you know what I mean? That's, like, it's just so different as a coach where you're living and dying by every game. And as a GM, it's like, I got to be thinking about a three to five year plan at all times. Well, yeah, also, there's nothing, in, there's nothing in ahead. Brad's uh, background to suggest that he has done an executive role before. And I don't think college coach really counts. I think, you know, you want to say that college coaches have like some sort of executive experience because those athletic departments are essentially run as front offices. But I, it's not the same to me in, at the very least. I don't think and it's, it's then there's no money element of it too. I mean, that's like the yep. hardest part for any of this is like that's the advantage you have in college. The salary cap is very clear uh, and very low. <laughs> I mean, what's really important is that we know how Bill Simmons' dad feels about this, and we're so gonna is have to Simmons going to throw his fucking hat in the ring for this job? Not for coach. Is he going to like push for an executive thing in the next week? It's too late because Steven's got the job. I feel like he could come in and be like, "I can connect you with the culture. I'm going to no. like show you." All the good chants that I came up with for our fans to do. Yeah, no, nah, he ain't. Uh, he ain't gonna, like, he ain't gonna show you how sec- we do it here. He ain't gonna be second fiddle. He no. who, he would want to run the joint and then sell it to Spotify and then keep all the money. I'm That's I'm I'm nervously sitting out this conversation in case I need to get a job at the Ringer one day. So, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm sure he'd do great. <laughs> you know, he'd bring us some interesting ideas. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> so let me uh, let me ask you about because uh, let me transition Rohan because uh, I did read some stuff you wrote uh, this past week oh. about how so we we started off the playoffs it was exciting it was great to have the crowds back particularly at the Garden and that became very funny very quickly um, but then there's been a run lately of fans going completely ape shit and in very <laughs> menacing bad well, like there was an idiot on the court uh, I believe it was on, I believe it was in Atlanta. And he like he tried to dunk, and then he got. Oh, that was the security. Wizards game. That was the Wizards game. Oh, yeah. the Wizards yeah. game. Yes, but the uh, but yeah, the other was ones have been worse. So someone dumped popcorn on on Russ Westbrook. Right. Someone chucked a water bottle in Boston at Kyrie Irving after Kyrie said, "I was nervous to go back to Boston because I was afraid of racist fans," and they absolutely made good on that premonition. <laughs> and so, um, and you know, I was I was of the mind at the beginning that fans were being assholes in sort of. In, in relatively, in ways that they had been assholes previously. Um, but then I started to wonder if perhaps it, uh, it was elevated since the pandemic and since uh, the events of last summer. Uh, do you believe that this is out of the ordinary for dickhead fans to behave the way they're behaving? Or, uh, or do you believe that it's essentially more noticeable now because players are willing to say, no, 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 we're not tolerating this shit anymore? It it really is interesting. Like, I wonder how much of this has to do with the fact that we're just getting fans back. Like, over the course of a normal NBA season, are we just not paying attention to this stuff as much? Because it does seem weird to have the run of incidents we're having 
you know, I'm trying to think back, like, does this kind of happen in the playoffs? So I remember when LeBron had his infamous, I mean, game six in Boston, the one of the best games of his career, they dumped popcorn on him as he was walking out. And no way did it garner as much discussion as it did, you know, with happening to players this week, which was probably a bad thing. It was probably something we should have talked about way more. Yes. Um, So I, I wonder if part of it is just we're all more in tune to these things now. We're all paying more attention just because fans are actually back, etc. I, I so it's hard for me to say it's worse just because I I remember that one at least. So I'm sure those things are happening. Obviously, there's you know infamously LeBron's. I'm bringing up LeBron a lot, but I mean he's just the target of so much absurd shit. But his first game back yes, in Cleveland, of course, like his first game back in Cleveland was I, I wouldn't say celebrated, but he was so hated then that I don't think anyone really stopped to pause to consider how uncomfortable that fan reaction was. Yeah. Is this weird? Yeah. Is a question that like we just didn't ask for like Yeah, no, the hostility years. the hostility was the selling point. The the selling point was get your popcorn ready. <laughs> yeah. Not right. Like it was a different use yeah. of popcorn. It's true. If everyone who was like my mom, we'd never have this problem. Because the first time I went to a hockey game with my parents, they were booing the Atlanta Thrashers and my mom was like this is so mean. They traveled all the way here for this game. We should be welcoming them. <laughs> and I was, like, mo- I was like, this is not how it works, Mom. Mom, I told you not to bring dessert for the Thrashers. Uh. <laughs> Your mom would make a fantastic St. Louis Cardinals fan. That would, yeah. she would be the be- she'd be the best fan chill, in hockey. Chill, chill. I think she was a KKK dreams. queen. So, yeah. Uh, oh yeah, the Ellie Kim. Oh yeah. my God! Holy shit. I think Drew's point about how weird it feels is really something that I've been thinking about, of, of you know, just the way that this is, too. Because I don't think any of it is new exactly. But, like, right, it yeah. seems like addressing it with this new sort of, like, critical lens of being like, is this actually fucked up? Like, somehow that does seem new. Like, even, like, Malice at the Palace, that all came down to, like, a referendum on, like, is Steven Jackson a thug? Like, yes. it's just, like, nobody... right applied the smallest amount okay. of critical reasoning to any of this like is, is this something that you should allow to happen so i'm not going to pretend like i'm i was like really on top of this but what was crazy is i interviewed ron artest two years ago and as i was talking to him i was like this is a man who i think was truly ahead of his time like he's living in the future like ron artest is not a perfect person and i i don't really think i advocate him beating people up uh at the same time, like, I think if the malice happened today, there would still be, like, the fair share of people calling him thugs and stuff. There's no question. But I think the the discussion around it would be so different. It would be yeah. so different. And and I think... Go ahead. Go yeah, ahead. go ahead. No, no, you finish it. Yeah, I, I just... I, I do think that one good thing that's happened over the last couple of years is the problem is certainly not fixed, but there are more good faith discussions about like the systems that athletes are existing in and where those system comes, where those systems come from and whether they need to change or not. Yeah. I think that's very well said. Cause it's, it's like, I think that's the difference with all of this, especially, you know, the bubble season, you know, like both humanizing, but then also there's something like doubly abstracted about like the empty gyms and the fucking zoom screens and all the like weird aesthetics <laughs> of it that like, I think that, you know, people like throwing things at players. It's not again. It's not new, but it's like they never really like engage them. They're like characters from TV, and you get to like be in the TV show and tell those characters to fuck off if you pay your ticket price, right? But like, I think that that is no longer sustainable at this point. Like, it's very clear that these games are happening in the same world that you're going to go home in, and so there is like something more jarring about the idea of being like, why would you throw a water bottle at another person? Like, you wouldn't do that. It's just the question of like understanding Kyrie Irving as a as a person instead of like a basketball card that's come hideously to life. It's so true. It's it's like it's and in a way like depressing to think of how many athletes also just like internalized the shit they put up with because they're like that's what comes with playing with sports, right? Like yep. someone's gonna call me the the n word right now and like I just have to deal with it or like. People are going to throw batteries at me or like, yeah, you that's know. the gig. Right. right. It's and it's ridiculous. like, there's really no reason it should be like that. And this is someone who like, I, I'm still pretty like pro fan. Like I'm, I am the kind of person who's like, 
you know what? I think it's important that a coach answer a question about why he made that shitty third down call. Like a lot of people are really invested in this stupid game. So, you know, I'm pretty pro fan at the same time. Like I've never once like had the desire to do anything else other than boo someone or like maybe you make a reference to something silly they did that like everyone agrees is silly. You know what I mean? Uh, but like the, the idea of like crossing that line is just, yeah, I could never understand like that level of like entitlement or just really feeling like you have like an ownership over these people. It's yeah, it's disturbing. It's like genuinely disturbing. Not to bring up another LeBron thing, but this is something I was thinking about when you were talking. Do you remember last year there were people at courtside yelling at him? Maybe it was earlier this season, and he called the guy who, like like old steroid ass or something yes, like that. Yes, yes. Oh, I remember that. In Atlanta. And the, yes. Yeah, and the dude. So, and then the dude's uh, girlfriend or wife like was doing a bunch of like Instagram videos <laughs> where she was like, "I'm literally 23 years old, okay? And you're gonna call me that? Like you're gonna <laughs> talk to me like that? Like I'm 16, okay? Like whatever, just like." <laughs> completely like nonsensical uh grandiose rich person shit but it was like in both of those cases like the guy and the lady like they really seemed like offended by the idea that like this guy that they were yelling curses at would like talk back to them (laughs) yeah like they were like shocked like what what were you expecting from that transaction like just that you were like yelling at your tv but you're there that's uh just so you know oh sorry just so you know he did uh, James did indeed call that guy old steroid ass. And then uh, later on, on Twitter, he called the wife courtside care. And he said courtside care. Yeah, was mad, right. mad. Man, mad. Just, just fucking great. Just I great. think that old steroid ass, like, you don't want to say it's the best thing a player has said back to a fan. Like, I still think Carmelo responding glazed. to a tweet by calling someone a glazed donut ass. <laughs> glazed donut face. Yeah, glazed donut face. Incredible. Just... Absolutely incredible. I, but he didn't say it out loud. It's different. I just also, not to make this into a LeBron podcast, I just want to say... Um, <laughs> Too late! It's, yep. uh, it's really endearing. I genuinely, I think that, like, there was a period in his career where he had to, like, make a big performance of being like, I'm getting off Twitter because it's playoff time and I need to be locked in. Which I think was mostly like he didn't want people using that as another reason to like criticize him. Like, mm-hmm. well, maybe if you didn't tweet LeBron, you'd actually <laughs> win a title. But now he's like won so many championships that he's just tweeting every night when he's not playing. I'm like, hell yeah, man, good for you. Yep, a literal go off king <laughs> exactly, moment. Exactly. He really yeah. has like as a poster like a very uh, uniquely blessed and happy sort of approach to it. Like this is Giddy can go on about this stuff for like for hours, but all these like Instagram posts of himself just like listening to new music and making faces <laughs> yeah. and stuff. Like he's not, having a fucking blast. Not knowing the lyrics, yeah. but still trying to rap along. Smiling yeah. through it all. Can't uh, believe it's his life. Is there a solution? Is there a a, a good way to minimize incidents like these for the NBA and for the players and, and for the fans without anything dressed. Cause I like, like one of my old friends suggested banning courtside seats, which is never going to happen. And, and I mean, courtside fans kind of add to the ambiance. Like even if it's like yeah. Jack Nicholson weighing 800 pounds sitting <laughs> over in the corner, like, like I, so I, I wanted to ask you, Rohan, is there, are there solutions to this problem? Short of banning white people from the game? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Actually, that's pretty practical. No, no. That. Honestly, that topic, I just think it's like, well, how do we fix societal attitudes is really what it comes down to if we want to get to yeah. like, the absolute root of it, right? Like, right. can we put 20,000 people, like, be like, psych, this isn't a basketball game. This is an intervention. And, like, we just get six therapists on the court to talk to them instead. Like, why do you hate athletes and why do you feel this is okay? Like, I really don't know. I, I you know, I I don't want to be like the NBA has done nothing wrong here, but I think the NBA has done nothing wrong. I just don't know what more they can do. They're obviously, you know, I think that they are, like, well-meaning in general about the welfare of their athletes. Um, especially in a scenario like this, I, I don't think that they are not understanding the gravity of this problem, but when you come down to it, it's just the way that like for so long, you know, society has just viewed athletes, like particularly NBA players. And I just don't know how a, a league fixes that with like a, 
you know, a decree or a new rule, et cetera. Like, I think their hands are tied to a degree. You know what's going to happen? We're a week away from them being like, you know what? The solution is more cops at games. We're just yeah. getting more cops <laughs> Right, games. yeah, it's, that's so true. That's really what it's going to be. Cops are like fucking spackle for, like, American... Pro- like, put some cops yeah. on it! Like, yeah, yeah. Put some tussin on it. <laughs> rub, some, yeah. rub some cops on some it. Some off-duty, like, sheriff's officers to, like, <laughs> confront whatever, yeah, like, somebody's dad at a game. Let the cops suck, soak in. Oh, them, my God. They them. were filming something, like, a couple blocks from where I live uh, the other day, and I was just going to pick up a sandwich, and it was just, like, crawling with cops... Literally to do a job that the traffic cones that were set up were also doing, but it was like, it was like just nine cops, and I was like, "What is going on?" Like, I see the cones, like the the, the multi, many of them are just like sitting on a like a folding chair, and I'm like, "What?" Is, oh man, it's the best. That's yes. like, well, you know, Democrats wanted to defund the police, and guess what? Crime is up twelve percent in Akron. So you know, <laughs> right, how's yeah. that working out for you? That's Demi's totally inactive cops is like very much like a twenty twenty one image. That's like the thing with New York, where the people are worried about the subways being safe, and the way that they've responded to that is just there's like if you go to like the Times Square station to change trains, there's like a dozen cops playing Candy Crush, not looking at each other, but they're all standing together in a knot at the bottom of the stairs. How often How often are you going to Times Square, Rob? Well, you know, it's great. The, the M&M store is there. If there was an M&M store in my neighborhood, <laughs> I'd go to that one, but... Mmm, M&M. So let's take a break and come right back. Uh, and we're back. So we were just talking about um, sort of the epidemic of NBA fans getting a little bit out of control. But then uh, that segues nicely into what happened with Naomi Osaka and the uh, and the French Open. Because um, uh, last week, Osaka released a statement on Twitter saying that she wasn't going to attend any press conferences for the French Open. She, uh, you know, she was, her mental state was not, uh, she didn't feel that she was in a good mental state to attend those press conferences and be subjected to the same bullshit questions over and over again by reporters that in general don't have a lot of regard for how, you know, this sort of battalion of questions affects athletes, you know, when they're on in the spotlight. And so then she followed up this week saying, you know what, I've decided to withdraw uh, I'm withdrawing from the tournament because, you know, cause French Open was it was going to make her do the press conferences anyway or fine her for it. And it just seemed like it just seemed like a lot of needless bullshit. And they weren't going to be, uh, you know, sort of uh, solicitous to her about her request or what her what she needed to do. And so that touched off what I think has been a fairly civilized discussion about, you know, whether or not these press conferences are useful and whether or not they take into account the health of the athlete sitting at the podium. And, you know, in like, you know, there was an athletic guy who was like, but these press conferences are important, but I'm not talking about her press conferences, but I'm just talking about in, in general. And so like, there's all this sort of nebulous sort of farting around the subject, but Rohan, I wanted your uh, opinion on, you know, sort of how Osaka handled it. Cause I thought she handled it very gracefully and whether or not there's a solution to that particular issue between athletes and the press. So this is a really interesting one because, you know, I'm I'm often at games and stuff, right? Like, I'm the, I'm the guy who's often at these press conferences and things. And, like, listen, I get just as annoyed as athletes when people ask stupid questions, okay? I promise. Like, it, it's something that media members talk about. Like, we know who's doing the bad, the bad questions and the bad faith questions, etc. Here's the bow I'll, I'll kind of try to put on the Osaka situation. I I don't think that she handled it perfectly, but I think that she did what she felt was necessary and true to her, and I don't fault her for that. Like I don't think that she was acting maliciously when she was like, "I no. just I can't do this press stuff anymore." And I like Howard Bryan has made this point. And I think it's very good. It's like the reputation of the media has just been like decreasing steadily for decades now, to the point where like, yeah, a lot of younger people are like, "What's the point of this?" Um, and Tennis is also a little bit different than, say, like the NBA or whatever, because it's not a team sport. It's individual. It's not like, you know, the rhythms of like beat reporting are just a lot different, you know, et cetera. Like the the tennis press conference is like a lot different than a basketball one would be. 
So I think her situation is a little bit more unique than, say, you know, Steph Curry or even Tom Brady or someone like that. I, I think to me, like she made valid points and I was like, OK, like she's kind of springing this on people late. But obviously what she's saying is really important. And then I just thought the way the the tournaments handled it with that like joint statement was awful and it was terrible. And it was that clearly was setting it off for like a a bad conclusion and they they totally totally fumbled that because this was like a perfect opportunity for like like we talked about how do we change these systems to like reach a compromise it, it, they were like so worried that oh if we give in a little bit like it's going to go away entirely and i thought that was a huge mistake but you know i will say kind of like in defense of media in defense of the the press conferences in defense of the people at the games like those reactions are good. Those reactions create news. And I, I do think that like in a team sport, at least, or there, I don't, I, I hesitate to say accountability, but there should be some bridge to the fans who kind of drive the popularity and interest of the sport. And, but it's also different. Like in the NBA, for example, it's like LeBron James doesn't only speak at press conferences, right? He speaks at like post-practice shoot around. Like he, de- he develops relationships with the beat reporters. Like, he knows which people are acting in good faith. Like that encourages him to give good answers to certain questions, etc. So, you know, there is a value to it. I think there's so many people who don't even realize like the things that they're getting from the media. Like they think they just like kind of come from thin air, but don't realize that like that thing that you are excited about was said in a press conference or that thing that created excitement for this game was said in a post-practice media session, etc. So it's just different with tennis because, you know, it's an individual sport. It's not like – I don't think they develop the relationships quite the same from my understanding. So, you know, I just thought that the tournaments messed everything up by being so heavy-handed about it instead of trying to find a solution. Which is a classic Roland Garros thing too. I mean, it was like yeah. going from policing Serena Williams' outfits to this – you know, one year to the next is like, that's exactly what, like, it really is an existential threat for them as they understand themselves to yield even the tiniest bit of control to people. Right. But that's like, that's on them. You know, like, I do think the point that you made about this basically being like advertising and being like a way to keep fans informed and interested, like, it's definitely true. I just feel like it's one of those things that like, could probably use a like a a bit of disruption. Like every time that I've been at those like post game pressers, it's very rote. Like it's just people filling TKs in and gamers and stuff, which is like, and that's important for them. It's just, you're not going to learn anything new or interesting there. Mostly. That's so true. I mean, I'm also in a like privileged position in that regard, or it's like, I'm not a newspaper guy in a deadline. Like there's just so many different layers to it that like, I don't want to get like, turn this into like a media lecture, but it just really is. Like I said, like there's so many people who are doing it in good faith, who do have the relationships with the athletes that the athletes themselves are even like willing to give those quotes. But I wish people could see like the number of conversations that happen in an NBA locker room after a game that are like off the record, not in a press conference setting that are like two guys who've clearly developed a relationship, you know, chopping it up about something. And like that information is then being relayed to fans at some point in a way that not only is like advertising, but like either deepens their understanding or like gives them information that they crave. Like it's, you know, I'm not saying that like everyone is doing it well, there aren't problems with the media or like we talked about with, with fans, like it's a system that deserves scrutiny and certainly can be changed and certainly can be evolved. And, you know, was like many things like, created by people who didn't take really into account the interests of the athletes to a degree. So I, I definitely think there could be some changes, but like in this instance, the tournaments just were so heavy handed that it, it ruined any chance we had of making progress, which is deeply frustrating. Well, one other thing is that um, Osaka in her second statement reached out to like, she basically was like, I didn't mean to offend the journalists I like, and I'm friends with, with my first statement. And so you could tell she was sort of working this out in real time, which I didn't think was any sin. Like, it's okay to be yeah. a little bit, it's, just, it's okay to handle this, you know, not 100% expertly when you're, you're dealing with it and you're dealing with problems of mental illness that you perceive. So, like, that, I don't, and I, and I think that 
there are people in the media like you and like our colleague and like your colleague Emma Bachelieri, who used to be our colleague too, who you know, who who are seeing the nuances of this. And so I think there is some some hope in that regard. But the most important thing is that it's time for you to play Dinner Canceled, Rohan. You ready? <laughs> you ready for Dinner Canceled? Can you do this? Let's ride, so early baby. Let's ride. I'll try. All right. Now, the rule, I'm going to give you a name, and you can tell me whether that person is dead or canceled. If they're both dead, wins out. You got it? Okay. I think so. All right. <laughs> so, like, Rohan, John yep. Wayne dead would weigh out over him being canceled, yes. right? That is correct. Okay. That's correct. Okay. That's a very good example. I like That's that. Uh, okay. Is this person dead or canceled? Chess legend Bobby Fischer, dead or canceled, Rohan? Aren't they still looking for him? (laughs) Dead? (laughs) Dead or canceled? I'm going to go with dead. He is dead. He died. uh, He died in, I believe, 2008. I might get that wrong. He was also, he was extremely anti-Semitic and extremely canceled, but he's, (laughs) but Bobby Fischer is dead. I wasn't, so that was actually a suspenseful one for me. Usually I know these, um, that was one where like, I thought that he died. Roth is like, I usually have a huge list of people that I move them from the canceled category into the dead category. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but in this case it was like, he also like, he could have just lived for another 10 years, like not really, just like (laughs) whatever, being fucking bigoted in like was Reykjavik Fishburne, or wherever he was living. Was Lawrence Fishburne, was that chess movie he was in, was that about Bobby Fischer? Uh, it, it is not about Bobby Fischer. It's Searching for Bobby Fischer and that's the title of it, but it's about uh, it's about a boy chess prodigy and it's actually, it's a fantastic Yeah, I really movie. like it's it. It is a really good movie. It is a really good movie. Shout out to Larry also, Fishburne, man. I also, I, I liked that and I liked The Queen's Gambit on Netflix because I think I've said this before, but they were, they were chess movies and shows that were actually about chess like the chess wasn't a metaphor it wasn't like oh well you know the knight takes the queen and then like you know <laughs> someone gets murdered or something like that like it's literally about the chess like it's cool uh all right now you, you got, fucking uh, nerd okay. now you gotta remember a, now you gotta remember a guy you ready rohan to remember a oh, guy yeah please are you guy of the week to remember Ronnie Cycli? You remember him, Ron? DJ Ronnie Cycli, baby. Wah, wah, wah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. Miami, the, uh, Miami Heat legend. Heat yeah, yes. I don't think I actually ever saw Ronnie Cycli play basketball, but they'd always talk about him on the local broadcasts. Yeah. <laughs> so that's a great local flourish. I like because that. he was also like playing like deep house sets probably in Miami after or like he just like lives in Ibiza full time now and that's right. just what he does. <laughs> yeah, he was a net at the end of his career. And I remember he was like a star with the heat when they were bad and I was a kid and all I knew was like it was obvious that he had better hair than anyone in the NBA. Like you could tell <laughs> that that was like a pro grade handsome dude. But then when he's with the Nets he had like that thing that happens to big men where, like, whatever, his arches fell or something like that, and he was just clearly in pain. <laughs> and it was... So I never got to see the good version of him, but I do love the fact that he's just, like, a, uh, whatever, globe-trotting <laughs> club DJ. He That is yeah. what more athletes should do in retirement, is, like, yeah, I'm going to DJ and, like, do weird shit. Like, that sounds, like, way better than, you know, trying to stay attached to the game or, like, all this wild stuff. It's like, no, like... He's probably not. He's he's definitely not like filthy rich. You know what I mean? I'm sure he's like good money from playing in the NBA, but it's not like he was making the guap that they're making these days. Yeah. So it's like he's like, yeah, I'm just gonna DJ. Fuck it, good for yeah, him. Yeah, I like that that he's that he's an artist, but not like a serious one. Like he's not aspiring to have like a record deal or anything. Like that. <laughs> right. He wants like, he's exactly. gonna be a shitty DJ married to like Elsa Benitez and like just hanging out and <laughs> Got, like some and residency party. in like Goa time. or it be <laughs> right. wherever. Yo, have you been to Goa? No, we so we were in India once 10 years ago and it was like we had this big itinerary and then we realized quickly like it's why people don't say I'm going on vacation to America. Like it's a fucking huge right. country. like we were right. way way Listen, over. Goa is beautiful. Let me highly recommend it. Uh the little this is actually why I'm here today. Thank you guys for <laughs> the letting board me do of tourism. my plug. <laughs> On behalf of the Goa Tourism Board, uh, it is a lovely place to take a vacation. Okay, it is an absolutely lovely place to take a vacation. Uh, outstanding Ooh, nice. fish curry, great resorts. Highly recommend. If you want to see a former Ooh. NBA, uh, like an All NBA third team center, spin a trance set, <laughs> you could yeah. do a lot worse. <laughs> And really, what better time than now to travel to India? <laughs> right. It's just perfect. Oh, 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 oh. 
<laughs> I, I feel bad I said that, but it's true. It's you're not, not wrong. I laugh. No. I, I do I do want to go, though. I you, I saw the Google images, and I was like, shit, I want to go there tomorrow. I remember I, like, well, I, remember I, I went on a, a vacation there in 2000, and it was the first time I'd ever experienced a pool that had a bar in it like the pool oh. and i i kept making my dad buy me mango milkshakes every single day at the pool <laughs> and he was getting fed up <laughs> he was oh, yeah, yeah, yeah that i the the swim up bar is so fantastic and if i were just absolutely disgustingly rich i would have a swim up bar slash grotto in my in yeah, my bag yeah that'd be sick instead i have a highway in my bag <laughs> hey it's time to open up the fun bag this is from brian rohan he writes in brian writes in you got a favorite cup Mine's called Big Cup. It's from a movie theater I went to in Bangkok. I liked it so much, I brought it in my carry-on when I moved to Germany. You got a Big Cup? This is actually a lovely question because I take... I'm I'm in the process of redoing all the glassware in my home. I, I was had mason jars for a long time, which I liked because they're very big, but I'm just tired of them. I'm tired of the aesthetic. It's very Brooklyn 2015, and I'm LA 2021, baby. <laughs> right. Um, like Brother Jimmy's, like a scorpion yeah. bowl, but it's in a mason jar. <laughs> I, so I was also collecting souvenir cups from different NBA stadiums for a while. Because I was like, oh, this is like a thing I do for my job. And then when I was moving, I didn't bring them with me because then I was like, you know, what am I doing? I'm a single guy with all these souvenir cups from NBA games. I was going to look like a perv. And then I was like, that was stupid. That was a huge overcorrection. What am I thinking that like women are coming over and opening my one cabinet with my souvenir cups in it? I don't know. I overthought it. All of this is to say, I do have a favorite cup and it's actually owned by my friend, Brendan Malloy. He served me iced tea out of it uh, in his apartment. And it's just a great big round glass that holds a lot of liquid. And I think it's, I think it's important that you have a favorite cup. But it's not yours. I know, I know. It's really disappointing. It's really disappointing. Like you need to steal yeah, it. I, steal it. I well, don't own it. any of my favorite cups, which is really dumb. That's how I got almost all my glassware. Was I stole it from bars in my twenties? So I have like my favorite. I did yeah, too. So, like, my favorite glass, to the extent I have one, is like one of those, um, like the twenty-two ounce bubble pints. You know, with the oh, like cool. kind of yeah. like regular fluted, and then there's like a little bulge in it. Mm-hmm. And that's like a yard, it's, a yard glass. It's great, but like I definitely came home with me because I like paid a dollar more for a Guinness than I thought was right, <laughs> and I was like, "Well, fuck that!" Like <laughs> time for some get back. Just real incredible twenties dirtbag hours. All my like rocks glasses are like that. They're all like scuffed up because they were like on a speed rack at a bar that I victimized. Yeah, not what you want. I had uh, I had bars I had I had pint glasses I had stolen from bars in New York and I was very proud of them and then my son uh, asked me where I got my favorite <laughs> pint glass from and I was like uh, well it's an interesting <laughs> story and he's like he's like you can't really have that and I was like all right all right I'll get rid of the cups I stole so I I got rid of them except for I still have a Bierstein I stole from the Hofbrauhaus in Germany sitting above the oven I haven't used it because I don't drink anymore but I couldn't. I couldn't bring myself to part ways with it, so I still have the one that I secreted that seems out of. Like a, that's a piece with that's honor, fair, is what I yes. call that. Yeah, I th- I think that like Hofbrauhaus, House, if you've never been there, it's like it's a vomit factory. Like Americans go and they <laughs> and they throw up on the floor, and then I think they have a budget because they know that American teens are going to see like sneak out as many uh, Liedersteins <laughs> as yeah. they possibly can. Dan writes in Rohan: Is there a time during the day? When you have never eaten pizza, I'm sure that I have been chomping on some pizza at every time between 5 a.m. and 2 a.m. in my life, but I don't know if I've ever, re- if I've ever eaten pizza at like 3.36 a.m., for example. Is there a time of the day you haven't eaten pizza, Rohan? It, it's probably only between like 4 and 8 a.m. It's probably the only time I've never done it. Like, Certainly there's been a day where like I woke up at like eight and I just saw that I had a slice in the fridge and I was like, Oh, I'm going to take a bite. At least I got to know, <laughs> you know, right. just getting ready for my day. I, uh, one year for my birthday party, we like, I got back to my apartment very late and like 2am was eating Domino's. So it's probably the only the 4am to 8am window I think is maybe, maybe like that 5am to 8am, probably the only window when I, when I, when I went to college, the only place that was open really late was the most disgusting pizza chain in the world, Sarpino's Pizza. 
It's so bad. But sometimes you were just so desperate. It was 1 a.m. Nothing else was open. And the delivery never took less than 70 minutes. Like <laughs> It was not far away, but it was like 70 minutes. You just get the most disgusting pizza. The next day, you just take like the grossest poop in the dorm bathroom <laughs> um, because of the Sarpinos. But yeah. That's like a... That's like, you know, hungover in the morning and like the real danger zone is like the pizza that's still out. Like you didn't yeah, even put yeah. in the fridge <laughs> and you're like, oh, it's room temperature. Sarpino's like, is like, is like eternally left out pizza. That's like, they don't like heat it. it. They don't like have an oven. They have like a radiator <laughs> yeah. that they yeah. just leave a box on. <laughs> yeah, that's oh, the Drew's thing. That is taking me uh, back entirely too much. The idea of just being like that mental calculus you do where you're like, well, how much worse can this really get? Right. Well, honestly, yeah. this uh, this is still happening to me. Where it's like <laughs> you're a young um, man. Sometimes, well, so, yeah, you're single. So this happens. is what happens: is like sometimes I'll get like really high and I'll order food, and I'm like, I'm not cleaning this up right now. Like I, I'm way too high. I'm just gonna pass out. And then I yes. wake up the next day, and I'm like, that French fry can't be bad. Like a, it's yeah. <laughs> like you know what I mean. Like I'm like, explain to me how a potato would go bad. I just don't believe it. Yeah. I, I I agree. That's and that's a good note to end on. Brandon Nix is our producer and engineer. <laughs> Daisy Rosario is our executive producer. Our theme song is by Kirk Hamilton. You can listen to ad-free episodes of The Distraction only on Stitcher Premium. And thanks to us, you can get a free month of Stitcher Premium right now. Just go to stitcherpremium.com and use the promo code DISTRACT. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever it is that you listen. And subscribe to Defector.com while you're at it. Otherwise, you're lazy and worthless. And... You gotta read Sports Illustrated too. You gotta read Rohan Nakarni and all our friends over at Sports Illustrated because they do fantastic it's work. Still a very good and website. Rohan, it was so nice to have you on. Will you come on again? I would love to come on. I was waiting. I didn't. So I bullied you into letting me do a fun bag, and I was like, I'm gonna wait my turn for the podcast. I don't want to skip the line, etc. But yeah, dude, I'll come back. I'll come back just to hear you say Stitcher Premium again. That was interesting. Yeah, it's incredible. No. You think you like hear it enough times? He, you know, listening to the podcast. He puts a lot of. He puts a lot of masala on it. Yeah. He puts, uh, yeah it's yeah. so different lives. <laughs> yeah. Stitcher Platinum. <laughs> Stitcher Elite. All right. We'll see you guys next week. Bye. Bye.